When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has waded into the GAA Go Route and called for the most popular matches to be televised. He told the Dáil that while all matches can't be broadcast, RTE and the GAA should allow the important ones to be seen for free, while other matches should be made available through the app. Virgin Media has questioned the GAA amid the controversy, but RTE Group Head of Sport Declan McBennett has rejected any suggestion that the national broadcaster received exclusive access to GAA matches. When you're mandated to do a particular number of games, you learn from it at the end of the year. But certainly, GAA Go is proving to be a very, very um, well-embraced, complimentary service to the free-to-air games that are available. A US jury in a civil trial has found former US President Donald Trump sexually abused writer E. Jean Carroll. We'll bring you the very latest on that breaking news. And we'll also take a look at how the government could spend the 65 billion budget surplus. And later, more from Liverpool as Ireland's wild youth light up the Eurovision stage and hope to book a Eurovision grand final place tonight. As always... As always, do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, VMTV. Tonight, former US President Donald Trump sexually abused magazine writer E. Jean Carroll in the 1990s and then defamed her by branding her a liar. Jurors decided a little earlier in New York. In a post on Truth Social, Donald Trump reacted to the jury decision, writing, I have absolutely no idea who this woman is. This verdict is a disgrace, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. Well, for more on this now, I am joined by correspondent Will Dennis Lowe, who is outside of the courtroom in New York for us. So, uh, Will, what was it that the jury had to consider and what did they ultimately decide? Kira, this was a civil case, so the burden of proof is lower than it would be if it was a criminal matter. So essentially, the nine-panel jury had to find that it was more likely uh, or not that Donald Trump committed uh, this sexual abuse. Now, it took three hours of deliberations, and the jury came back finding that they did uh, believe that Donald Trump sexually abused E. Jean Carroll in a changing room of Bergdorf Goodman, a department store here in Manhattan, back in the mid-1990s. They say that uh, he also defamed her uh, when he said on Truth Social back last October uh, that the accusations were a con job, a hoax and a lie. To that end, uh, E. Jean Carroll be paid $5 million in damages. However, the jury did not uh, believe 
or did not rule uh, that Donald Trump raped her. Of course, we have not heard directly from E. Jean Carroll, but she was all smiles as she left the courthouse behind me. Um, as I mentioned there at the top, we've heard comments from Donald Trump on his platform, Truth Social. Uh, his lawyer, Joe Tacopina, spoke um, afterwards. What exactly did he have to say? Absolutely. More of the same, really, from Joe Tacopina, somewhat reiterating uh, some comments made by uh, Donald Trump. Joe Tacopina said uh, that there was evidence of bias. He said it was a media circus. And he said that he was ultimately happy that his client was not branded a rapist. There's also been some strong comments from uh, Donald Trump's campaign team as well. They've come out and said that this was an abuse of the Constitution for political ends, of course, very much hammering that point made uh, by Donald Trump on social media, uh, those allegations that this is a politically motivated witch hunt against him. Of course, that is the point we've heard on numerous occasions from the former president uh, during this trial and obviously also during the litany of other uh, cases against Donald Trump that are still outstanding. In a message from his campaign team, they say that for this civil trial, they will appeal and they claim they will ultimately win. Chiara? I suppose one of the interesting points of all of this is that you did mention, of course, that he is a former US president, that there are a number of other allegations against him, but he's also somebody who intends to run for that presidency again. What are the potential political implications here, Will? Well, because it's a civil case, it means that there's nothing to bar him uh, from running for office, anything to that nature, despite uh, the jury finding essentially in favour of Ian Jean Carroll many of the things that Donald Trump was accused of. Um, and of course, there will be the financial penalty that he'll face, but nothing to bar him uh, from continuing his bid to regain uh, the presidency in 2024. Of course, there is the political weight that this might carry the fact that a jury of his peers found that it was most likely that Donald Trump sexually abused someone. Of course, this was a case that we heard directly evidence from E. Jean Carroll, but as well uh, evidence that was given by two other women that also alleged that Donald Trump had sexually abused them. So, of course, uh, that will be used prominently uh, by Donald Trump's rivals, you'd imagine, in the lead up uh, to the 2024 presidential race. As far as Donald Trump's supporters are concerned, well, it's quite likely uh, that they'll very much lean into uh, Donald Trump's rhetoric that we're already hearing just minutes after the verdict was reached, him saying that it's politically motivated, him saying that it's a witch hunt. And for Donald Trump and his team, this will be further fuel to that fire that this is essentially in a conspiracy and a bid by Democrats to thwart him from regaining the White House. Right, uh, Will Denslow in New York, thank you for giving us that breaking news this evening. Well, moving on, RTE was contractually obliged to broadcast Sunday's provincial football finals on free-to-air television and didn't have the scope to focus on the Munster Senior Hurling uh, Championship at uh, the exclusion of all else. Group head of sport Declan McBennett confirmed this afternoon. Mr McBennett also rejected any suggestion that RTE and the GAA were selecting high-profile Munster Hurling Championship games to drive subscriptions to the GAA Go platform. However, Virgin Media 
has questioned the GEA amid the controversy by suggesting that Croke Park did not approach other broadcasters to see if they were interested in broadcasting games after their existing deal with Sky finished at the end of the 2022 season. We can take a look at what the group head of Sport Declan Bennett had to say a little earlier. Uh, we will review everything at the end of the year. We will see uh, what needs to be done, what needs to be changed, if anything needs to be changed. And that's the nature of any process whereby uh, when, you're, when you're mandated to do a particular number of games, you learn from it at the end of the year. But certainly GAA GO is proving to be a very, very um, well-embraced, complementary service to the free-to-air games that are available. Well, to discuss this further, I am joined by Fianna Foyle Senator Shane Castles. Independent TD, Matty McGrath. Business Post journalist, Emmett Ryan. And via Skype, former Wexford hurler, Tom Dempsey. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, Emmett, I'm going to go back a little bit, I suppose, to um, the ending of the partnership between Sky and um, the GAA to broadcast some of these matches. Um, that deal had been in place for eight years. What happened at the end of that? Well, essentially, Sky wanted more games and the GAA didn't want to give it to them. It really comes down to that. Sky wanted to get part of the league package because the league was beginning to run closer to the championship. The GAA wasn't terribly keen on more games going behind Sky's paywall and opted instead, essentially, to decide to go its own way, to go heavily in with RTE. Obviously, RTE is the sole free-to-air broadcaster and with GAA Go, where RTE and the GAA are co-owners. What was interesting to me, though, there and what Declan McBennett said was he said that they aren't putting Munster games behind the paywall in order to drive up subscriptions. That goes against largely what Noel Quinn, the recently appointed head of GAA Go, said to me last week. He was actually only appointed last week as well, Noel Quinn, where he said it's very normal practice and they are, of course, putting high-profile games on the platform to drive subscriptions, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it, Kira, because mm -hmm. if it was only Sligo versus New York, and no offence to any Sligo people watching, just to be clear here, you wouldn't get that many subscriptions. They need to have big games on the platform to drive those subscriptions. So it's kind of odd to hear Declan Bennett say that they aren't deliberately putting high-profile games on that platform. Uh, and I suppose it's also worth um, pointing out that Virgin Media today put out a statement to say that Sky Television decided not to renew its GA rights. The GA did not approach other broadcasters to ascertain whether they would be interested in broadcasting these games, but arbitrarily decided to put them behind a paywall. So... Is that what happened? Other broadcasters weren't approached. There wasn't sort of an effort made to try and keep more games free to air. There certainly was a question about how they went about it, although at the same time, the rumblings at the time were that Virgin Media weren't showing great interest in going back into it because, of course, it had already made certain investments in terms of its sports coverage and it likely didn't have the capacity or really the interest to expand sport at that time into GAA. TG Carr obviously is limited in what it can do and is already a heavy profile uh, broadcaster of the GAA, but its mo main focus in the summer is with ladies football as well. So again, its questions around capacity would have been an issue. But I suppose the question then is, why didn't they look at RTE for the Saturday night games? Because while they can point to RTE having other sports to show, like football, like rugby and the likes, RTE do have overflow capacity and they've used it before. RTE News Now was used during the World Cup. It was used during the Olympics. If the GA wanted to have those games free to air on a Saturday night, RTE did have a facility. OK, so I suppose the question then is, who decided the schedule here? Who decides what goes on GA Go and what goes on free to air RTE? And that leads to the odd part, because, of course, it's an area that was brought up by Virgin Media in its statement earlier, the editorial position of RTE here, because on one hand, it's buying rights from the GAA for its own free-to-air viewing, but on the other hand, it's a business partner with the GAA. It's 50% in on GAA Go, Yeah, it's, it's half-half, the two of them. 
So on the one hand, it's a business partner. On the other hand, it's a customer. And it does lead to an unusual relationship where it's sort of bidding against its own self in many respects. And it has its own competing interests. Like, you know, Diego having its first ever head only appointed last week points to the complexity of the situation and where... And also, I think Declan McBennett made it clear today, this is a, you know, a, a company, I suppose, that, ha that has targets yeah. that it has to reach. It's a commercial entity. It is a commercial entity, but it was one that was prior to really this season focused mostly on the immigrant market. And I think the Jay wasn't expecting quite so soon to have to go so heavily digital in its focus because it was expecting Sky to stay as a partner for a bit longer. So that ideally, and I'm sure it's an area both uh, our guests will get to as well, there would be better broadband in Ireland and frankly it would be easier for people to access the games through broadband but of course there are issues in a lot of rural areas and also in terms of older people accessing the games online for whom there's like you know access difficulties. Okay uh, Maddie McGrath you want the GAA and you want RTE brought before an Aractus committee why? I want an explanation uh, it's intriguing the setup that's there now between the new company and the 50-50 and then the exclusive rights given to GAA without going out to yourselves or anybody else, you know, as you've mentioned. So I want him to answer the questions, uh, really. GA were a community organisation founded in ordinary people and look, a great organisation and do tremendous work and still continue to do tremendous work. But this down coming on top of the, 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 the eager embracing of the, the cashless, uh, you know, the, uh, matches. And now this as well. There was uproar literally last weekend in Munster. Now, obviously, I'm biased because I'm from Tipperary and it was the next to the game of Holland. But, you know, the, the broadband is just pathetic. And so especially... Did you watch it on GA Go? No, I listened to my own Tipperary uh, radio. But any, I got complaints after complaints. I met her, I was in a meeting yesterday and the lady said, one lady said, they were watching it, but it froze. And they were getting the updates from Chicago, if you wouldn't mind. So we're not ready for that. And maybe it's the fact that that um, Sky exited the, the, the situation earlier. But nonetheless, the GA must reflect on its position. I, as a member of the committee, have written to the chair and indeed the secretariat to ask them to come in to talk to us, to give us some explanation, both to GA and RT. Like, RT is the national broadcaster. And, you know, they, they have duty as well, too. It's a national game. I'm not, um, you know, knocking football or anything else. Or, or and in fairness, football. I suppose Declan Bennett did say today, the head of sport, he said there is more matches on television now free to air than there has ever been. Hmm. Yeah, I accept that. But as, as I said, Munster Championship hurling is really a, a, a big affair, especially since he brought forward the shorter season, because it's all condensed down to the shorter season. And they're in, that's some of the problems too. But the public out there, the GA going public, people with, you know, intellectual difficulties, elderly people, and the lack of broadband to the most mm. uh, uh, proficient users of, of internet. If the thing freezes, it freezes. And it's not more frustrating watching a match and you're turning on the, your local radio or, or, or radio... Or getting your updates from Chicago. Chicago. So and I, I don't bizarre. want to, to, to patronise people here, but I am conscious it's not that simple to do this. You know, you need no. a, a smart TV, you need to download yes, the app, yes. you need to be able to operate a HDMI cable or a Chromecast um, to stream issue. it. Yeah. That's yeah. a bit difficult too, isn't it? And you need good broadband. And you need good broadband, which is going to be an issue for a lot of your constituents who wanted to watch this. Yes. Yes. My parents are in their 80s. I've got to sort the games out for them every week. Because they're just not quite able well, to work well, out they, technology. They but uh, is it fair to say, Matty, you know, this is the way a lot of sport has gone. 
Possibly, but there's a difference in the GA. Intrinsically, people are of the GA. It was a part of us fight for freedom in this country. The GA were involved. They looked at Bloody Sunday. That's there and that relationship. And the commitment from the GA committee members, the players, young and old, it's tremendous. And the give back from the GA is good as well. But these are two issues now to have. Really, a take, been, this isn't been taken by Co-Park. The exclusivity of, of having to book a match online. Again, I'm sure your parents or anybody, many of my parents are deceased, but we're struggling with it. And the fact that, you know, you're also now to have this decision behind okay. the paywall. So it's two whammies, and people are incensed. The people who watch the dresseries, who they just want to be able to stretch on their TV who, and see it. Then. Yeah, who run the lotteries okay. and who fundraise and who train. And there's a huge energy out there, and they're fundraising. Look, Dylan Quirk and the amount of money they're raising there. There was an issue around that as well, God rest them, about his having a game and everything else. So people feel it's high handed from headquarters and, you know... All right, and us. just to be clear, we did actually um, look for the GAA to come on the programme this evening, but nobody was uh, available. Shane Cashel, you have written that you think there's a lot of contradiction going on in this debate this week. What do you mean by that? Yeah, and I think Matty actually touched on it there when he talked about the fact that um, we've condensed a season from five months into three. Uh, I think the fact that we're still talking about this three days on just shows you how deeply ingrained the GAA is in... Uh, Irish psyche and as a former GA journalist I, I get that um, but I think as well when you look at the fact one of the most informed voices I heard today was actually Michael Lester and no better man to be placed to talk about this given that he's the former host of the Sunday game and he spoke about imagine a scenario where the Sligo Galway match last Sunday was dropped from the schedule to facilitate the great hurling in Munster or whatever would this, instead of Matty on here tonight would have a TD from Sligo or Galway on given it sucks that to hell or to Connacht that, we, that there was matches cut uh, that are ingrained in the contract as well. So I think what we need to have, I think it's good we're having the conversation, but I think what's, what's reality as well from the GA's perspective is they've taken a five-month season. When I was growing up, it'd take five months to play five matches. You now have to win nine matches in three months to get to the all okay, final. So we've shrunk, this, we've shrunk the season. The point and it's that called, Emmett made was you could have put the matches on one of the other channels, RT2 or RT News now. You didn't have to put it behind a paywall. Well, again, again, just on that, on, that, on that issue, and I was just reading Michael's comments today, as he said, it cost over 100 grand to broadcast those two matches live with outside broadcasting units. It's not a cheap, as you know, in this business, it's not a cheap business. You're right also in terms of we're saying, in terms of where sports are going. And Matty will know this. We're on the Oireachtas Sports and Media Committee together. We've had Virgin Media Management in and, and RT Management talking about sports coverage, where with the rugby, they work collaboratively on the Six Nations. We've seen Virgin now enter into uh, League of Ireland soccer for the first time ever. And that's just as an interesting point as well. I know Matty's talking about bringing the GEA into the committee. League of Ireland is behind a paywall as well. If I want to watch Bohemians versus Derry City in the top of the League of Ireland this Friday night, I'll pay €7 Euro or €120 Euro for a season pass. So I think this focus on the GEA as well is, is not right. As a sports but and media committee, we should be because, looking at all. Do you think because people are more used to paying a subscription, whether it is to Sky Sports or BT Sport, to watch well, the football? Is well, that what well, it is? Well, this is actually funny because when this whole kind of um, discussion erupted really on the Sunday game last weekend with Donal O'Cusick and he spoke about his passion for hurling and that young people need role models to see them so they can affiliate with them. But on the same hand, he talked about his young nephew who he said could name all the Liverpool squad now, that young man could only see, name all the Liverpool squad if he was watching them on BT Sports or Sky Sports, where you're paying over €1,000 a year. So that's what I mean by contradictions. In that, young, uh, it... in that young people do have heroes, 
but their pa their parents are obviously paying large subscriptions for them to see those heroes on Sky Sports. I'm not and saying, the Diego, in fairness, I think it's about seventy euros. It's, it's, it's seventy nine euros. Seventy nine so euros. It's a, fraction of, it's a that. fraction of that. Now the point is, in terms of which games are getting broadcast, but I think the point as well is that. As Michael Lester said, if you if you took off Sligo and Galway last weekend off the off the off the TV, a lot of Sligo people would be very annoyed, and they'd be in here tonight demanding that as well. The broadcaster is the difference here because in all the examples you're giving there, the partnership is with a private company. Mm -hmm. RTE is a public service broadcaster, Absolutely. and that's a debate but here. By the way, do great service. Absolutely, for the, but what I'm saying is, as a League of Ireland fan, I'm going to be selling scarves for UCD on Friday night. Yeah. But I understand why, because League of Ireland does not have a partnership with RTE. This is the unique thing. Editorially, well, RTE is somewhat compromised here. In terms of RTE, are also broadcasting League of Ireland. But they aren't producing. But they aren't. They aren't, well. they aren't running a product together with RT as co-shareholders, and that's the difference. That's the, that's the huge difference. All right, RT I just want to go broadcaster, to... And with that, there comes expectations, because they do get a, a huge funding from the, the state and the taxpayers, so this is a step too far. And look, it's a bit of a mess. I think they're going to have to yeah. revisit it. There, there was a point made, in fairness, Shane, by Alan Dillon, um, the Fine Gael mm -hmm. TD, and he said this is a licence fee increase by the back door. Yes. Well, again, I think, you know... If people, you look... are, uh, people are essentially <laughs> being asked... To pay twice. Well, if you look at a scenario where some of the matches, Mahi's going on about the, the Cork tip match last weekend. Mm -hmm. There were other hurling matches on last weekend. Mm -hmm. Dublin played Wexford. Antrim played Kilkenny. Now, if I was an Antrim fan or a Kilkenny fan, I was able to watch that match, which, by the way, if you bought the packages for two euro, less than the price of a cup of coffee. And when would that match ever be shown? If I was waiting for the Sunday game, it'd be 30 seconds on Sunday night. So I'm just saying there is a perspective in this argument, yeah. which, is, which is obviously enraging people, but there's good sides as well, that if I was an Antrim fan, I could watch the entirety of my match as opposed to just 30 seconds in the Sunday game on Sunday night. So I think calling it a, a backdoor tax fee is more inflammatory language, maybe to curry favour with the public because the public aren't, aren't happy about this. But as a GA fan, and I'm a diehard GA fan, I know that the products that are being offered for GA fans, there's a lot of GA fans and they're damn happy to be able to watch their matches as well and pay the two euro for okay, it. Okay, well, let me go to uh, Tom Dempsey, who is a former hurling player. Are you happy enough to pay your subscription or pay your 12 euro to watch your hurling match that otherwise you'd only get a short clip of uh, on a Sunday night? Well, to be honest with you, Kira, it's, it's a great argument there. And, and there's a couple of points I want to make before I start, I suppose. Um, one, the GA is a wonderful organisation, and I agree with Matty on that. It does so much good. Uh, and, you know, my life and a lot like me, hundreds of thousands around the country wouldn't be the same without it. The other thing I'd like to say is I'm not the contrary hurling man. Uh, I follow Liverpool, I follow rugby, I follow everything. So... The one point that I would make, and I'm probably coming at a slightly different angle to where some of the people there are, it's not that easy to promote hurling. It's a small populated uh, game, you know, in the international sense. And in the, when you look at the bigger picture, although we can put 82,000 people into Crow Park, which is a fair achievement. My issue, and it, it started a couple of weeks ago, was that the best occasion, sporting occasion, and one of them came with the Munster final last year. It, it, it was outstanding. 50,000 people crammed into Sample Stadium, electric, controversial, skillful and one of the iconic moments of the year tony kelly uh putting a sideline ball down with the greatest of skill putting the ball over the bar it, it was amazing with incredible rivalry limerick and claire it, it had every element of hurling at its best and i'm talking about hurling i'm not talking about any other sport at the moment we had a repeat of that game this year where arguably the stakes were higher for claire because they could have went out of the championship or close to it in the Gaelic grounds in Limerick. 30,000 people packed in again, 
and we didn't show this to the Irish sporting public. Same with the Cork and Tip game. So with the promotion of the game, we have a 12-week window now really to promote our game. Last week, we had no hurling game free to air. Next week, my understanding, we have no hurling game free to air. And my point is that this is very, very poor marketing of one of our greatest sporting products. And my worry is that we take hurling for granted at our peril. And I just want to make a point. There was an elderly man, and I'm not being patronising here because I'm fast approaching it myself, but he rang me and he just said, Tom, if you are speaking about this in public, don't make it about the money. These people, you know, he just said, I've paid my development draw, my lotto, I've paid to, to build a clubhouse in the, in the local club at home, and I've paid into every game. It's not the money. It's the access. I believe that it's it's a cultural thing, hurling, and the people like this deserve access to the game. Again, you said it earlier, you need your laptop, you need to be techie, you need your broadband for all that. And I don't believe that we should deprive people of that. That's the first thing. So do you think Second all thing, of the matches, therefore, should no. be should be um, sort of beyond a, a wall, that you shouldn't have to pay a paywall, rather. You shouldn't have to pay for any of the matches. No, I'm not saying that. And it's not realistic to say that all games should be, you know, I mean, I would, the Rugby World Cup is going to take prominence this year, no matter what way you look at it. And that's very deserved. So, but what I'm saying is I'm not advocating that all games should be pre- free to, to, to view. I'm not even uh, saying we should abolish uh, GA Go. But what I think is GA Go should be an adjunct to free viewing, or if that can't be done, it should be open to other providers, other free-to-view providers, and let them watch hurling games. My problem was, from the promotion of hurling, we can talk about this and we can talk about that, but to lose the chance of showing the two probably best games that we've seen over the last couple of years, or two of the top games we've seen, has been a huge opportunity lost. And I'll just give you an example. Wexford, like everybody, uh, Kira, we're struggling to keep people at it. What I need to do going into training with under-16s on a Monday evening, I want them talking about Tony Kelly, Keen Lynch. I want them talking about Seamus Flanagan. It's the only thing we can do. If they don't see this, they're not going to talk about it. Wexford will have one match. If we, and okay, we're in a bit of a precarious be- position at the moment, we have one match that we will see free to air for Wexford senior right. hurling. How do we promote our game? Okay, let me just put that back to, um, to Senator Cashel's, you know, because we do sometimes think of GA as this massive organisation mm. with a presence in every single county and every county can field a team and either mm. hurling or, um, or football and they can't, they can't, particularly when it comes to hurling. It's actually quite underdeveloped and the GA should be, number one focus should be on promoting that game. Absolutely and I'm glad you mentioned the, the smaller counties as well because the Joe McDonough Cup will be one of the games that it's actually free to air, promoting smaller counties and it goes to the nub of the problem and, and Tom they're talking about um, making sure that, you know, hurling, which is only probably strong in a small number of counties, is promoted. But as GA people... So how promote, do you build that? But you see, we're promoting both code because I'm a GA person and I'm a football person as well, probably primarily. But at the end of the day, we want to see both codes do well, but you're, you're competing for the same airtime at the weekend and that's not practical. And we've shrunk, from a GA point of view, we've shrunk a season from five months to well, three and think that we can broadcast well, the but, same amount of games. But I suppose that's not strictly true, is it? Because the match on Saturday, there wasn't a clash. There wasn't was a there clash on Saturday, no. The, no. the only clash was with... RT's commitments in terms of rugby, which again, if they'd used the overflow option available to them, which was an option if they had written that into the contract. The contract as it is, though, they can only show games on, I think, five of the 15 Saturdays where there are championship games this summer. Yeah. 
that to me is an issue that they should have thought about when they were thinking about the access issue yeah. way back last year because we could see this coming with older people from a long way out. We saw it with mm. COVID when they were showing a lot of league games for free through Diego then, it should be pointed out. A lot of older people were able to watch those games but mostly through help of their younger relatives or neighbours to if help they were them lucky to access. To have that help. To have that help, yes. Yeah. I'm just wondering, uh, Matty, you know, as, at the crux of this, should it be about... GAA and who they're doing business with and the deals that they're doing and whether or not they need to sort of auction the rights to all of these matches in a, maybe a more open and a more transparent manner so that everything is done to sure that as many as possible are yes. free to air for people. 100%. I, I agree, Dan. Tom couldn't, I couldn't put it as good as Tom did. Those games were, were spectacular. And it's not only older people. Like broadband, people get it in public houses and in different places, homes, and the broadband froze. So you're right, this should have been all worked out and should be anticipated. But it seems as if the GA and I face what they do, they have they're just they're ignoring their clubs and their patrons and their servants. That like but I they will say, they're, I not really, say yeah. they're not really because they're yeah. giving clubs 150. A club no. can buy the subscription for 150 yeah. for the year. So they're not really but to say, say that they're ignoring their clubs. You, if you've got it for nothing, it's not good to For you to be throwing the ball now and say they're no, ignoring their clubs is, is being, are, you're, it's a cheap shot of the GEA. And you should it is a cheap shot of the GEA, and you shouldn't be doing that because the GEA, as you said, are a community based I'm getting from my constituents and from all over months of that matter, people contacting people who would never complain and they're infuriated as Tom said how are we going to do young people to aspire to be the Tony Kelly? The GA will say they'll put the money back Do you know how you'll aspire? People are talking about this in terms of television, television, television the strength of the GA is actually people going through the turnstiles at the weekend I don't have a GA go past because I'll be nothing watching me than tipping Saturday night you're very welcome and make you the tea and I'll be in Crow Park on Sunday for the Leinster final I want a bit more tea than I went to Navin Look, I'm going to have to leave it there, but my thanks to all of my guests uh, for joining me this evening on that. Lots more after the break, including what the government's going to do with a 65 billion public surplus pot of gold. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST in the years up to 2026. But what could the money be spent on? Well, Senator Shane Cashels and Independent TD Maddie McGrath are still with me. And I'm also joined via Skype by Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick, Stephen Kinsley. Stephen, you're very welcome to the programme. As problems go for governments, this is probably a pretty good one. Put this sum of money in context in terms of the overall uh, money that comes into the state. Well, I think the real way to put it into context is to think in terms of how much the government spends every year. We spend about 108, 110 billion every year. So this is about half of that spending again. 
Um, and it's a really considerable amount of money. Um, the state has never seen any kind of projected surplus like this. So the real challenge is twofold. First, to stop every interest group in the country uh, running up to uh, the Minister for Finance and doing the cha-cha-cha for, for more money. Um, and the second thing is to realize that a lot of this money is coming from corporation taxes, which are very likely to dematerialize in the next three years. And that means that you can't start adding to the permanent base of spending uh, unless you're very, very careful with how you uh, do it, which is where all these proposals for sovereign wealth funds and so forth are coming from. Okay, so some of the options, I suppose, that are going to be open to government and some of the things that the, the, you know, the, the voting public will be looking for are, you know, tax cuts finally in this country or increasing core welfare rates or perhaps pumping it into something more long-term like health or housing. Are any of those good ideas, do you think, with this extra money? I think the first thing to realise is that the, the parallels with 2006, in my mind, are extremely strong. Um, in 2006, we had very low, in, le very low levels of unemployment. We have that now. We had booming corporation taxes and stamp duty taxes. Um, we have that now. We had an economy that was really, really firing on all cylinders, um, and uh, we have that now. The worst thing that you could do in this situation is drop income taxes and weaken the base of taxable income, and then find out that the thing you were relying on. In, in 20 years ago, it was, it, was, it was stamp duty. This time, it's corporation tax simply goes away. So the real challenge, you know, at the start, you said, you know, it's not a bad problem to have. It's actually a really big problem to have because if you make the wrong choices, you store up huge problems for the future. Um, and it's going to be very, very difficult to resist calls for uh, increases in spending on, on things like, for example, public sector pay. Um, but uh, the, the things to spend it on are things that will yield large increases into the future. So things like um, roads, uh, things like the... Um, the uh, uh, Shannon Estuary project, things like the uh, offshore wind, and, and most importantly, uh, investing in housing into the long run, because we know that's, that's what is needed. So big infrastructure projects is what you're saying. There's also been some calls to try and pay down some of our national debt, which is quite high per capita here, up at about $225 billion at this point. Should they pay that off? Because could that potentially be a problem down the road if we need to borrow in the future? large sums of money? The standard economics will tell you that the stock of debt is actually not that important. So the amount you owe as a country is not that important. What 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 is difficult um, is how how much it costs you to repay the debt year on year on year. And right now those debt uh, uh, those those debt servicing costs are really really low. So it's not really a concern at the moment. And paying down the stock of debt is not it's not a terrible idea. But given that we have real problems in transport, real problems in housing, real problems in third level education, real problems in secondary education. It's going to be a little bit difficult to make that call. I think the, the difficulty um, with being a finance minister is you have to make sure everybody is equally disappointed. And that is in come budget time. And that's going to be very difficult in this situation. I mean, if you just take the 65 billion, that's about 13 grand per person in the country. You could just give everyone 13 grand uh, and say, off you go. Um, I don't think that would be the best option, but you could. Um, and, and, and so just distributing it equally to uh, I'm thinking about um, where, where to put it into different po different pots. That's going to be a really significant challenge. The other uh, a final point I make on this is these are forecasts. Uh, you know, many people will, will remember that in the run up to the February 2020 election, um, the idea was that we would spend um, over the next five years, 
an extra 11 billion euros. That's 11 billion over five year period. We spent that 11 billion in about three months in COVID. So things can happen into the future. And probably most importantly, um, from, from my perspective, you know, economic forecasts are important, but but common sense and prudence should prevail. And something like the Sovereign Wealth Fund idea is a very good idea because it, it creates a stock of money that we can draw interest from into the future, like some of the best run countries in the world, for example, Norway and Singapore. Ultimately, though, it is politicians who are going to be making this decision and perhaps you know future implications really don't play into voters' minds when they go to the polls uh, next year. Do you think ultimately the politicians therefore will try and do a little bit of everything? And is that the right thing to do with this money? It is definitely not. Um, economics is not a homeopathic science. Uh, sprinkle a little bit here and there doesn't really work. Um, that what, will, what will be required are quite bold choices and the, the ministers will be very tempted to spend. The, again, the lesson of the 2020 election is trying to balance the books in an election year is a poor choice. Um, so they will be tempted to spend. They will have to spend. There will be a lot of spending. Um, it will not satisfy every need. Um, simply because um, you, you could increase the six, 65 billion to 650 billion, and you still won't be, you still won't satisfy everybody. It won't be possible. Um, the, we will see a big political budget, I think, uh, in, in a couple of months. Um, ha however, the nature of how the spending is allocated will change the structure of our economy over the next, uh, say, 10 years. Okay. And the legacy of this government will either be the government that uh, built the next boom of the government that blew the current one. All right, look, I'm going to put that to our panel, but Stephen Kinsler, it's always a real uh, pleasure to talk to you. Shane, the legacy of the next government is whether they blow the current boom or they build the next one. What is this government going to do? Because politics is at play here, really, isn't it, too? Yeah, well, in, in that respect, I think, you know, anyone who knows Michael McGrath knows that he's not a kind of man to, as you said, sprinkle a bit there, sprinkle a bit there. He's a very, very solid Minister of Finance. He showed that when he was in public expenditure as well. I think Stephen nailed it when he talked about forecasts as well, in terms of that old adage, you can't spend what you don't have. So I think the mood music today and what Michael has set out, speaking about, as you said, we've got a, we've got a public debt of, you know, 225 billion and the servicing of that putting aside money in the National Reserve Fund as well, which has allowed us to take, tackle things like COVID, uh, but ultimately as well, capital infrastructure. We have a development plan and there are so many capital infrastructure projects. When you think about the fact that we had four billion in, in corporation tax receipts in 2014, we're up to 24 billion. A lot of those are one-off. Let's use that money and invest it in capital investment so that every area of this country can see a reward and return for that corporation tax in the country. All right, but Maddie, a lot of the opposition that I heard today were saying, spend a lot of this to start the housing crisis. Is that what you're going to be calling for, despite the warnings from people like Stephen Kinsella? No, I'm going to be calling for prudence, certainly, but I, I'm just really uh, thinking of the people at home who are in food poverty, poverty or who are in fuel poverty, who are homeless. Looking, uh, watching this and hearing these figures today, does it really come to that situation that we have corporate Ireland and we have ordinary people's Ireland? So we need to support the people. Yes, build houses, mm -hmm. certainly, and improve health, but we, we throw money at health as if it's going to a fashion and we're getting no better, <laughs> uh, we're getting no better results. We're getting some, but not, not, not major. And then we talk about there's a two-tier Ireland. Yeah, of course there is. And look at and this is going to drive people mad. And look at look at um, and rightly so. Look at the, the children's hospital and the cost overruns there, no sign of it. Look at the broadband that we're supposed to have everywhere and we don't have it. And look at then the problem where this dysfunctional government 
Well, infrastructure projects, as Shane mentioned, we'd love to see some in Tipperary and in okay, other so countries. Okay, so you're going to be calling no, on No, no, with the Minister Ryan, okay, who wants to know any major infrastructure project, go ahead. It's an ego trip with him. Okay. He doesn't want, he wants little bits and pieces, Nothing, no major projects. All right, so, look, I'm going to have to leave that talk there for now, but Shane Cashels and Maddie McGrath, thank you for coming in to me this evening. Lots more after the break, including disappointment again for Ireland as Wild Youth crashes out of the Eurovision semi-finals in Liverpool. Well, Ireland's wild youth have failed to qualify for the Eurovision Grand Final, bringing an end to their 2023 bid. The Dublin band were among the five acts eliminated during the 15-strong first live semi-final of the week in Liverpool earlier tonight. Let's take a look at the performance. Disappointment News Talk Breakfast Briefing presenter Shane Beatty joins me now. Shane, you're a bit like me. You're a Eurovision fanatic. Yeah. Big fan. So disappointing watching that, yeah. So what did you make? First of all, the song and the performance and what did you think our chances were this year? I, I thought our chances were good. We certainly didn't disgrace ourselves. I thought the performance was great. <laughs> is that the bar? <laughs> I think it is. Well, listen, the bar is even to qualify these days, never mind win it. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, I thought the performance was good. Certainly as it went on, the crowd really got into it. Um, there were some moments where I wondered why Connor, the lead singer, kept pulling the microphone away from his mouth and kind of letting the crowd do the singing. But as you've seen there, I mean, it was... A, a big spectacle. The song is great. It's about We Are One. It's about unity and diversity and all of that. I just don't know what we're going to do now to actually get through the Eurovision. No, because some of the criticism in the past, I suppose, has been that we didn't put on enough of a show, of a stage show. Yeah. But from what I saw there, we seem to have addressed that fairly well. Yeah, absolutely. We had the sparkles at the end, as you saw there. We had the, the costumes, the outfits were very well put together. The performance was very good. Uh, I do think we deserve to be in the top 10. It was only 15 of them uh, and we didn't obviously qualify. I do think we did merit in the top 10. I hoped, I was coming in hoping that we would get the 10th place. Didn't happen either, unfortunately. So, yeah. as somebody who's followed the Eurovision for years... Why are we not qualifying even for the final at this point, do you think? Is there something else at play? I, I think it's a mixture of things. It's probably a little bit to do with the, the geography of it and, and where we're based. I did wonder tonight if the UK were allowed to vote for uh, this semi-final, would we have fared better? Because they weren't allowed to vote. They were allowed to vote on Thursday's semi-final. I wondered, because some of our traditional voting partners weren't able to vote for us tonight, so maybe it's something to do with the geography, um, the voting. Like, I really don't know what more we're supposed to do. We've thrown everything at it. You know, we have had... Turkeys, we've had traditional Irish bands, we've had Brian Kennedy, we've had all of the, we've had ballads. 
People now wondering maybe should we go back to a ballad? Switzerland had a ballad, ballad tonight. It was really, really good and, and they did get through. Maybe we look at that again. I mean, I the last time we actually got into a final was Jedward, somebody said to me today. That yeah. was a long time ago is, yeah. for a country that has such a good reputation or did have, did have. such a good reputation yeah, at did have. And unfortunately, the whole thing has changed because so many more countries are singing in English because it's a familiar language for so many countries, which sort of lowers the bar a little bit, allows more to get in. I mean, really, you'd wonder if we were to send someone like Dermot Kennedy, for example, or even Niall Horan, what Niall are you Horan. doing next May? I know, but would that even make a difference now at this stage? This is what I wonder about. Is it to do with the act at all or is it just to do with the country that you're from? They certainly deserve to be in the top ten. It wasn't the best song of the night. They're also in a really, really tough category as well because Sweden were guaranteed to go through. Their song's great. Finland guaranteed to go through. There's two of the places gone. So it's just really, really tricky. I saw as punishment someone say that uh, we should broadcast Saturday's final on GA Go rather than RT as well because <laughs> Ireland is just fed up with the Eurovision. We're sick of yeah, it. Yeah, we're putting a paywall up because we've yeah. actually had enough. We've of had it. enough. Is of there it. an issue? Do you think because we won it on so many occasions that people just don't want to vote for Ireland anymore? That's what I'm beginning to wonder at this stage. But that's been so long ago. You know, look at so many of the viewers now who are so young they wouldn't even remember that. I don't think that's it because if you look at Sweden, Sweden, uh, if Lorraine is going to win on Saturday, I don't know, then we would Sweden would equal Ireland's record. So I don't think it's that. And what's also really, really annoying is that Ireland is a very passionate country about Eurovision. So I'm sure if you go to some of the countries, I'm thinking even across the water to the UK, and you stop people on the street, maybe some of them won't have watched in Ireland. So many people watch the Eurovision, so many are into it. I think There's the Taoiseach even wrong. commented, didn't he, at the weekend, I believe there was a Eurovision uh, gathering, and he said it is a real disappointment uh, for the country yes. that we're not qualified. Yes. Do, you think, do you think it is a legitimate thing to be sitting here tonight discussing? Absolutely. We should be trying yes. to qualify for the Eurovision. And if so, why? Um, because it's, listen, it's all, this is current affairs, this is what people are talking about at home, and that's what I'm saying, in Ireland, we really are passionate about it, so it is something that we are going to talk about. But it, it shouldn't be that we hope that we can qualify. It should be that we hope that we could win. Now, everyone crosses their fingers that we're going to even just qualify, get through to the finals, because that's rare enough that it happens these days too. Okay, so do we need to go back then to the basics tier to the song selection, to the artist selection? Yeah, I, um, I mean, if you look at the Euro song this year, a lot of the entries weren't great. Wild Youth were great, and that's obviously why they won. Some of the others weren't fantastic. Uh, they tried their best, obviously. Uh, you'd wonder about back to the drawing board on that. I wonder, should we try again, maybe, with a ballad? Or do you do something off the wall? Like, I don't know if people saw Croatia tonight, but it was just, you know, they had an anti-war message, but it was also... Uh, apparently that's a sort of stilted performance tonight. They're going to go even more wild on Saturday. But you just watch it and sort of think maybe you're on drugs watching this or something. So do we go that route? Although we did that route with Dustin and it didn't get us anywhere either. So who, who could that person potentially be? Um, I don't know. Would we get the phone into Jedward and maybe see are they free again? I really don't know. I'm trying to think of an act in Ireland who could win the Eurovision. I'm also trying to think of an act in Ireland who could actually make sure that we get through to the finals because that's how dire it's got. Uh, it is back to the drawing board, yeah. Still um, watch on Saturday night, yeah. notwithstanding the fact yeah. that we won't be there. Absolutely. And I mean, so Irish I. Irish Twitter is brilliant on Eurovision night as well. Like Irish people are really into it. They're really witty, really funny. It, it's a bit miserable when you watch it when you're not in it, but at least you can sit back and kind of judge everyone uh, without having your own acts judged, I suppose.
Right. Disappointing, though. It is disappointing. It is disappointing. Well, well, uh, well done to Wild Youth. We were here all watching it in the <laughs> office with our fingers crossed, but unfortunately not to be this year. Uh, News Talk Breakfast Briefing presenter Shane Beattie, thank, thank you. you for coming in to us. Well, that's it from us here on The Tonight Show. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms, and you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, BMTV. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care.